This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist and entrepreneur. Today, I'm speaking to Sabrina Must, who is a copywriter from the United States. We have a really fascinating discussion about why writing and the written word is important, not just from the perspective of marketing, but also philosophically for society. We discuss how writing is different from images and video and other forms of, uh, of media and when you might use one over the other. Sabrina reveals some secrets about how to write killer copy and we finish up talking about life as an author, how to write a book, what it's like self-publishing, how to get on the bestseller list and is it all as glamorous as it seems. And before we kick off, I also just want to mention that the uh, the audio for today has a couple little problems. Um, you might hear Sabrina's dog uh, grunting uh, at a few points. That's definitely her dog. Um, it's not me. So, um, just keep that in mind. All right, let's get started. Who are you and what do you do? My name's Sabrina Must. I'm a writer. I work currently on a blog. I write for my blog and a couple publications here and there and I'm working on a new book. Um, so I guess you could call me an author. I've released a few books over the last eight years. Um, and I also run my own business called Write Less Bad. I work, I partner up with businesses and help with all their written content. So anything from websites and pitch decks and proposals, um, blogs, marketing material. Um, so Anything to do with the written word, I, you know, I handle and uh-huh. I love, so. This kind of passion that you have for writing and, and the written word, it's, it's obviously very important. I mean, it's been important for humanity over, over the course of history. And, you know, we, we talk about the, the Gutenberg printing press and how that kind of revolutionized the world. But where did you find your love of writing? So, I would say um, I took this class called Opinion Writing in undergrad. It was the... My last semester, I graduated a semester early, so it was the fall of 2007 that I was in this course. And I remember the whole course was centered around writing these articles and stories about almost any, like he would present a topic and we could write pro or con in any voice. It gave us complete freedom. And I no longer felt confined by like that five paragraph, very set essay format And all of a sudden, I just felt this like surge of freedom almost from words, from the written word. Literally, it just clicked. And I I didn't, I don't, I like almost remember the exact moment. And I was actually set to um, start a job down in Panama, um, in Central America. I was going to be writing for some like political, environmental um, company newsletter. I didn't, you know, I didn't really, honestly, I was 21 years old. I didn't really even know what I was getting myself into. (laughs) And about two weeks before moving out there, um, my oldest sister passed away very suddenly. Um, and so that job, obviously, like I moved back to Michigan and everything just shifted and I started writing, I was journaling And then that just kind of built into my first book. It was a memoir about her death and her suicide and grieving and everything. I don't know. The world just kind of made sense to me when I put it down into words. So from that, for over the last nine years, it's just kind of um, developed into a business and creative outlet and connecting with people. And um, yeah, that's that that's there was definitely a progression of falling more and more in love with with the written word. 
that's um yeah that's a very touching story and it sounds almost like writing is a in some weird way a bit of an extension of yourself and you can connect with the world through it more so i mean in a way i find that um i kind of feel the same way a little bit like i don't enjoy writing perhaps as much as you do but i've but i do find that um i can crystallize my thoughts a lot more when i put them put them down on paper or in into a computer or something you know it it really makes you uh justify and back up uh, opinions that you have and um so writing a blog for example is something i did for a while and um and I found it very uh, useful in in that regard. Yeah, yeah, it's um, there. It is a complete extension of myself. You know, I, I think in person a lot of time I'm a very blunt person. Um, I can be very straightforward. I don't like bullshit. Um, and in my writing, I can find a way to sometimes soften that. Mm-hmm. Um and explain it a little bit more and tell more of a story. So there's understanding as opposed to just saying something and it sticking with someone in possibly a way that they don't um, relate to. And there becomes more of a, a deeper connection, um, even if I don't necessarily have something in common with the reader. Uh, they, they read my story and then they connect with that and then they compare it to their lives and then find a commonality, for sure. I guess, you know, I, I alluded to it before, writing has been important for humanity, but why do you think writing is important? I think there's something to be said about um, self-reflection and finding the right way in the right time to say something and speak truth. And, and I don't even, I don't just mean this in like a blog sense or a journal or I don't just mean it in like personal um, content, right? It's not just about writing a story about, you know, an episode of dating or whatnot. It's even in a business sense, it's, how can I explain exactly what our business does, what our brand is, what our message is, so that an outsider that knows nothing about us or nothing about me or can read it and almost be on the same playing field and, and have a sense of understanding? Um, I do. I just, as I said before, I, I think that there's a, um, a connection that we feel when we can share thoughts in a universal language. Um, you know, just like everyone expresses affection and emotions if we speak the same language and we can use words in a certain way to kind of exude those emotions Mm -hmm. it's just it to me is one of the most powerful storytelling tools um like the written word not just voice it's it's something concrete that you can go back to and read over and take different you know you you you, perspective changes one you know i can read something one day and then in a month read it a different way and Mm. have grown as an individual and then five years later and there's something very permanent about it that i like um and that you know when i was writing the memoir when i was writing west girls love about my sister that was that was one of the driving forces was i didn't want to i didn't want to lose the memory of her Mm -hmm. so if i put it into words um, I could always revert back, you know, I could always go back and read through my book and like essentially relive her mm-hmm. through history of time that that's what the way that I connect with readers and the way that the written word helps me. That's what I kind of make the assumption that that's how it works for other people. Yeah. Or I hope that my writing does that for other people. 
So in, with technology these days, there's a huge push, um, well, there was a push probably five years ago towards uh, images and, and that was kind of like the go-to medium of communication and, and now it's, you know, unarguably video and that's probably the ultimate form of communicating because you can exude so much or communicate so much emotion through, you know, um, sound effects, through the, the motion of people's faces sound effects and music and all that kind of stuff. How does that compare to communicating through a written format? Yeah, you know, I play around with that a lot when I, anytime that I publish a blog post, um, and this is just more of a recent development, I don't have like a big Instagram following. I actually created Instagram a year ago for my dog originally. I, you know, I wasn't a big, and then I realized it was fun, so I started adding photos to it. Yeah. But I'll take an image from a post, post it on Instagram with a link to the blog, um, and and couple it, and and that's kind of how I see, you know, it's not just one is one is better, or one is you know the alt the only thing that you need. I think that there's something to be said about about seeing something visually and hearing something visually through video, um, and living it more in a a here and now moment. And I also think there's something about a still photo and, and you, you know, drawing your own conclusions from that image. And then I think that there's something to be said about the written word where there's nothing visual and it's all based on your emotions and imagination. Mm-hmm. And one builds on the next. And I think the most powerful tool is, is when you bring it all together. Um, you know, how can I upload a YouTube video and write a piece about it and include, fo- I mean, there's, there's something about using media as like, as a whole mm-hmm. and collectively that that is even more powerful. And, and that's something that I kind of probably should start doing is more videos, you know, because that people do connect and, and, and it kind of goes to, um, you know, I guess you could kind of say people are kind of lazy. They want the very quick, you know, I want to get the information, see it, experience it. Um, so sometimes I think people shy away from reading books or reading because of that reason. But if you can find a way that speaks to someone that they know they're going to read content that you know, they can connect with, they're much more likely to follow through on, on, on going back to that more quote-unquote archaic form. Sure, sure. And you mentioned something there that I found kind of interesting, this idea of uh, filling in the blanks. So, you know, with, with a piece of writing or a novel, for example, you might read a novel and you kind of imagine what the scenery looks like. I mean, obviously, the author has some sort of vision for what for a journey they're trying to take you on. But ultimately, it is up to the reader of any piece of writing to fill in the blanks where detail is not expressly uh, documented. So, and, and then, you know, when they do like a, a, a movie um, remake of a novel, then it never quite matches your expectations on, if, you've, if you've read that book. Yeah. So uh, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic, and you're right. I think it's it's almost like horses for courses, or different media for different purposes. Depends what you're trying to achieve, and inarguably, the written word is uh, the last of the test of time since very 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 early on. So that's something that has been important through history and still continues to be. I guess in a in a marketing sense, I think copywriting is almost in some ways more important than um, art or design or those kinds of things because of the speed at which you can communicate something to a potential customer. 
I really, really notice when a business has um, something that's been really well copied written or um, their tone of voice is just really on point and it's, you know, kind of fun or interesting or so how, do, how you know, how does a business, um, I guess, approach things from, from that perspective and, and make sure that their, their tone of voice is expressed well um, and in an interesting way? Yeah. The way that I think of it sometimes is, is this because... I come across, of course, there's clients that approach me or businesses where they get it. They understand the need to have killer copy, right? And if you don't, if your if your written content is not on point, you just lose. You, you won't you won't gain new customers. People won't take you seriously. Um, I, I see a correlation to you walk into a beautiful restaurant and it's like it's decorated so perfectly, and there's an air about it, and you feel homey and and even the menu is beautiful and then you get the food and it's just subpar and you, you, you're not, you're not enjoying it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't align with everything visual going on around you. Mm -hmm. I see websites that are so beautifully designed and you know, just the way that everything is structured and it flows. And then you get to the copy and it's just like, like, like someone just like vomited all over the screen and it's, (laughs) it, there's just so many errors and it doesn't make sense. And And I just talked to the CEO that is explaining to me what his brand is. And I'm like, what you're saying on your site or what you're saying in your proposal, it it does nothing. There's not, there's no alignment there. You are not showing your real self on your website. And so, you know, to, to recognize the need for, for clear, engaging content is, is almost, you know, I, I see it as it's like a certain like personality trait that, that someone can recognize the importance of following through on everything. You know, you can't skin the surface of. And so when it comes to business and someone understanding the value in that, um, you know, just because it's not visual that, it you know, that you it takes work for a customer to go through and read things and and process it that way. It's it's if not more important than the visual mm. and, and some people get it and the ones that don't get it after I do what I do, they come back and they're like, Oh my God, I had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, this is why, why you hired me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I spent years perfecting Ooh. this, you know, like this is exactly why, <sighs> you know, you, you needed to do this. Yep. Whether, whether yep. I'm doing the work or someone else is doing the work, you just, you, you, to make your business shine, you have to put in the time and money to make sure that we are, you're saying and what you're doing is well documented and presented to potential clients for sure. So, how do you make sure that you're, you're ticking those boxes? Um, because a lot of businesses don't think it's that important or they don't pay it a lot of attention yeah. or they want to skimp on the, the details or the cost or you know they just want to yeah. get it done. How do you make sure that it's done right? Yeah, so a lot of times it's communicating um, directly with my clients. So getting on the phone and then telling me their business story and how it started and what do they do on a daily basis and what are their services and why is this important to them and what is the value for their customers and really feeling like what is the heart of their business, that to me allows me to make what they do come to life, right? 
you are bridging that communication gap. So you can't just like someone can, of course, I can go through someone's document and quickly fix all the grammar mistakes and, and put it in a tone that I think is more appropriate. But I'm guessing based on what I think is a professional presentation of your work. Mm-hmm. But to really understand who you are as a business owner and what you're trying to accomplish for your clients, I you have to have that open communication and and to un, and you know get past just like the basic grammar stuff. Like how can we kind of rework all this content? So it really makes your business stand out um, because essentially you're competing against other, you know, against hundreds of other businesses that do almost the exact same thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it's always, it. I would say, you know, 70% of clients, it's after they see what I've done, that's when they recognize the importance and then they're sold. But, you know, it's it's really talking to them and learning about what they do and how I can help them. So do you have like a, a checklist or some quick tools that you can recommend to businesses or startups or, or brands or whoever to make sure that their copy is well written? Yeah. Um, you almost have to, unless you have a writer on staff, um, especially with startups, right? They're, it's low budget. You're trying to get funding. You know, a lot of times they see more value in the visual or, you know, you're putting together a pitch deck to submit to investors and you want to make sure that it looks amazing. And they do. A lot of times they neglect the actual words that are on the deck or, you know, the best, quote unquote, best writer on their team is crafting that language. Mm -hmm. And it might be okay, but how can you make it as good as possible? Um, And... There's really no checklist because it's really you just need to work with someone that does this all the time, a writer, like a true writer, not just, you know, hey, I journal or I took English classes in undergrad um, because there's details that I notice just like, like I could maybe do my tax, my own tax returns, but if I send them to a professional who notices all the little minor details and errors to to save me potential, you know, you know, IRS problems down the road. Um, that's the benefit. They have been trained in that way. So, like to say, oh, you know, make sure you capitalize everything and add periods and do this and do that. That's really hard. It's just how can you bring on someone that understands how the written word can be used in a powerful tool, mm-hmm. and then move forward from there. Um, it's it's just seeing the value in that type of work. That that would be my checklist. Like recognize how valuable what you're saying, what you're writing down to explain what you're doing and how you're trying to do it um, is just as valuable as the way that you present it in person or over the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the business that you run is called Right Less Bad. I think that's a very interesting name. Where did that come from? Yeah. So one of my, one of my clients um, that's based in Austin. So I moved to San Diego about six months ago from Austin, wanted to live by the ocean mm-hmm. and the surf. And um, one of my clients in Austin is a startup. Um, they're basically trying to disrupt the financial um, industry. Um, it's a fintech startup. Mm-hmm. And I was having, he was having a beer. I think I was having water or coffee or something. And we were chatting just about some work stuff and, it was brought up because I had never really had like a name that I would call this. It was just, you know, Hey, this is what Sabrina does. And 
you know, if she has too much work, then she sends it to another editor and that she works with. And, um, and we were just tossing around ideas and it was, you know, my last name is must. And so, you know, it's like must edit and like, you know, kind of like stupid puns and whatnot. And he just kind of threw out, he was like, it needs to be something like right less bad. And it was just one of those moments where I looked at him and I was like, done like and I call I literally called GoDaddy the next morning the guy on the phone could not believe it had never been taken kind of named it that um and it just works and and I'll be at an event or at a coffee shop where I met someone um a networking group that I'm part of in San Diego and I'll walk in and they will not remember my name like ever and they will shout across the room right less bad (laughs) like it's the most and it just sticks um, so, you know, it's funny and it makes it a little less intimidating. And I think sometimes people assume that I'm like just teaching writing, which I, that's part of my business plan is to extend it into more like corporate scenes where I'm going in and, and teaching a little and like helping with like grammar lessons essentially. But, um, no, it's just me helping businesses directly. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's the, that's where it came from. It's good though. People kind of labor over what they're going to name their business for a long time. So sometimes if you can get that, that one in the beginning, you go, ah, oh, that's it. Then, um, then that's good. Yeah. I find for me yeah. though, when that comes too early, you, you spend like the next month, um, trying to find a better option and then you end up back at square one. <laughs> yeah. of course. Well, cause I had played around with a couple ideas and it was like a, definitely like a week or two. And then when, as soon as he said it, I was like, that's it. Like mm-hmm. there's no other, like, there is nothing better than that. It's kind of funny and lighthearted and made it fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it does. And it's not its not intimidating as well, I think, is the other great thing. Um, because, you know, as you were talking before, I think one of the key things that you mentioned was that people don't see the value of, mm-hmm. of things being copywritten or, or actually engaging a proper writer. And, yeah. uh, and this kind of makes it very unintimidating. So, yeah. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about... Uh, your, your experience as a, a writer in terms of, you know, helping businesses and brands and pitch decks and that kind of thing. I wanted to explore um, this idea of being an author. So, you've written mm-hmm. a few books now. How many books are you up to? So, I'm currently, I just finished working on my fourth book, um, just waiting on some feedback, passing it around to some people, get into the right hands. Um, it's a very different tone than my first three Um, You know, I I wrote Must Girls Love, which is pretty much details the entire year after my sister died Um, and just the whole like the the family history and everything leading up to her death and then that year afterward. Very heavy, some light parts, but for the most part, you read that book and you are like emotionally drained. And it's I wanted I didn't want to candy coat it. It says this is what happens when someone commits suicide in a family and it's very taxing and you know it it really I mean it was the hardest year of my life. There's mm-hmm. just no question about it. Um and then, you know, just because I wanted it to be super light, um I started I worked on two Holocaust survivor books with my mom. My mom's a photographer. Um so I wrote the bios for um for combining both books. It was about 400 um international survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, many of whom have actually passed since, um, you know, it's, this is, they're already in their, you know, eighties, nineties, um, some in their hundreds. Um, one of the oldest living survivors, Alice was, I think 107 and she passed last year. Um, so it was, you know, kind of good timing to catch them and, mm-hmm. and allow them a chance to share their story. So 
from that, from those three books, which were all pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. some of the, some I'm seeing a trend here. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Some of the bios um, are very uplifting and, and just yeah. real. And, um, you know, but some of them for sure are very, very heavy. Um, you know, it's it was one of the biggest catastrophes of the history of the world. Um, so over the, I would say over the past like five years almost without knowing it, I was writing material for this current book. And, um, I'm not sure for, I'm not set on titles, but I think I might title it, um, um, dirty, sexy, raw. Um, and it's all, I mean, it's really, when it comes down to, it's all just about dating and, and modern, modern dating and relationships and love and seeking and the ridiculousness and self-discovery. Um, it's, you know, not heavy, but it's funny and it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous more than anything. Like really like that happened and some serious stuff, you know, but it, it really does cover sexual exploration, like as a young woman and, and learning how to become more confident and, um, and just learning there, there's a, there's a terrible trend. I feel, um, especially in the U S I, I don't know so much how it's dealt with, um, internationally, uh, maybe, you know, maybe different in Australia or more like Western countries. I know in probably in Asia, it's, it's probably even more hush hush, but, um, very, there's a lack of sexual education. And so part of like my exploration was just learning what I should have learned as a 12 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going into what is it really like to be single in your late twenties and all the crap you have to deal with. And it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous, but it was fun and it was fun to write. And, um, so right now I'm just kind of playing around with and waiting on a couple people to get back to me and, um, you know, I may first like publish it as an ebook, um, but yeah, that's the, those are my books, and um, there's a there's an enjoyment in the the process of writing a book for me, where it's a very big undertaking, and it, but at the same time, it doesn't feel daunting to me. It's just I have all this information I want to share, and I want to write it down, and how can I piece it together like a puzzle so that there's like a story and it makes sense, and someone can grow as I grew. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, I, as I was thinking about um, the the books that you've, that you've written, they're very personal, either personal to you or personal to um, the people that you've yes. interviewed, um, which yes. is a, I think it's a very unique style of writing. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Have you got a publisher that you work with or do you self-publish? How does, how does that whole process work, by the way? Let's, let's start with that. Yeah. So with the memoir I self-published, um, I was, it was a very unfortunate time. It was in 2008 when the market crashed and, um, you know, it was being seen by this agency and this agency. And then honestly, a lot of the contacts or people that were working with it lost their jobs. Right. And at that point, I just really wanted to get it out. Um, and just because the whole intention in writing that book was, to connect with others and to help others with that process because it deals with a lot. It's not just suicide. It's, you know, my my sister's mental illness and, and child's, you know, child deaths and grief. And I mean, a whole lot of stuff. Um, but, um, with the Holocaust books, um, because it was kind of associated, we started a nonprofit, um, called the diamond a penny 
and um, we worked with a publisher out of Canada and then we went to a lot of the Holocaust centers and did, you know, book presentations and, you know, there was a process with that. So, but with this current book, um, you know, always my intention is how can I reach the most amount of people possible? Um, because I write, I do, I write very personally. Um, I write, you know, I try to be as open and straightforward as I can, um, in a way to inspire other people to do the same, right? That's always, that's kind of just what makes sense to me. So if I'm reading a book and it's a memoir and, and I feel like if that writer had the balls to say that and share that, then I can also share my own, right? Because everyone struggles in different ways. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now with, okay, let me, let me see if I can get into the right hands, whether that's through an agency in LA or someone up in New York, or maybe, you know, publish certain chapters first in different magazines or it's daunting. That's the daunting part. It's not the writing. It's the, you know, how can you get through all the, the stuff of the publishing world and the agency world? Yeah. And, and this whole world is quite unknown to me because I've never obviously written a book and, and I have yeah. not really dealt with it. So how does it, like, what options do you have when, when you haven't, it's like, okay, I want to write a book about X, what options do you have in terms of uh, self-publishing, publishers? Like, I don't know. Are those the only two options? So you, you can self-publish it. You can print it, distribute it how you want. You can self-publish it and so can make I just it pause into- for a minute? What does that actually mean, self-publish? Okay. So self-publish is just you didn't work with – so a publishing house, the job of a publishing house, which – that in itself can vary because some are very involved and market it for you. Like if you're published under like Harper's Collins, like they'll, you know, they're going to, they, they put you into bookstores and they get you connected to these people and these book um, events. And um, it's more of a push. Other publishers are way less involved and it's still on you as an author. You might have them somewhat as a backing, but it's like more of a hands-off parent, so to speak. Um, and it's still on you to market it and get it in stores and sell it. Um, so when you're just self-publishing, you don't have anyone behind you really pushing at all. There's mm-hmm. no push. It's all on you. Um, and you can either do that. You can do that in two ways or combine them. You can print it. Um, and that's what I did here. Like, so when I came out with, so when I came out with Must Girls Love, in order to get it into this first books, um, um, book, um, book fair and, and debut it, I like, I made a physical, I printed physical books, you know, and that might've been a thousand books or something. And, you know, now people sell them off Amazon and I don't know. So they just kind of circulate right yep. throughout the world. This is one way to self publish it. You can also combine this, which I did years later by, um, uploading, you know, you, Amazon will take you on, as an ebook mm-hmm. um, author, and in many ways, some people love the physicality of reading a book, and many others, especially travelers, if they have a Kindle or they can read it on their phone, that's you're just you're um, you're satisfying different different clientele essentially, right? Different customer base. Um, so you can self publish it in two different ways that way: hard mm-hmm. copy or just internet, right? An online book. Um, or if you connect with a publisher, which is really hard, you typically have to go through an agent because agents have, they're kind of like, it's, if you go to court, 
the judge wants to talk to your attorney. They don't want to talk to the, you know, to the um, platonist or whatever it's called. I'm mm-hmm. not a lawyer. Um, so um, to get connected to a publisher, you know, it's, I mean, the amount of rejection letters that I have received from agents um, with Must Girls Love was just, I mean, it, like I could wallpaper my bedroom, you know, uh-huh. um, and that's just part of the process. You email them, you submit, and you submit to all the wrong agents and, you know, and then when you have one, just like a sports agent, they kind of like, terrible pun, they go to bat for you. Mm-hmm. And they are the ones that contact publishers. And then from there, if the publisher, if it's, you know, if they publish self-help books or sports-related books or whatever the, the topic usually they cover and they sell and they get those in a bookstores or they market it on Facebook or whatever whatever their marketing scheme is, Um so there, there really is different ways and different, and you can even work with a publisher and still almost treat it like you self-published it and do your own marketing as well. Mm-hmm. They want writers that are going to push their books themselves too. Yep. The benefit of social media, right? That you can reach a wider audience and not just, you know, be sitting in a Barnes and Noble, you know, brick and mortar store. How do you actually market a book? What, what kind of strategies work? Um, what are common and typical? Yeah, you know, I would say the best marketing strategy that I had for this, which wasn't, you know, I mean, I came out with this when I was 22. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, Does any of us really still have an idea, though? <laughs> not, but, like, if I was, you know, I was talking with my mom. This was a few months ago. I remember calling my mom being like, I'm glad that this part of my life is over, but I almost wish that I had wrote this when I was 30 or uh-huh. 28, you know, years on the road because I just had a little bit more business savvy. Um, and my best marketing strategy was just word of, was people sharing it and sharing it and sharing it. And then, you know, from the Detroit community where I grew up, then they're sending it to LA and to Texas and to New York. And then all of a sudden they're sending it to Australia and London and you, you know, you, you're sharing it and there's a sense of community, even though it's like separation mm-hmm. um, geographically, so to speak with the, with the new book, with the dating book. Um, it's very much, I mean, my strategy has been, how can I grow my blog? So more and more and more people, know my name, know my writing. So then when I eventually it's ready and it's in print or it's online, when I publicize that, it'll become much more, you know, I want it to stick. I want people sharing it and and, and sharing it on online communities, not just, you know, because they're family friends. But there's many different strategies. I know someone that released a, um, it's all about biohacking and, um, you know, figuring out how to, how to cater your health to your environment, you know, like what are ways that you can better your immune system and lose weight and all these things. And he, I would, he told me that they spend each month anywhere from two to $10,000 or something on Facebook marketing. And it's all sponsored posts and just getting the word out there. Um, but you know, you could also partner up with PR companies and then the, I mean, there's so many different ways it's just maybe what's the best for your product hmm. and what's the best for what you're trying to say and who your market is. Like, cause you know, how I'm going to market to 70 year old readers is very different than how I'm going to market to teenagers. Yep. I help 
businesses all the time with their marketing content, but when it comes to my own, sometimes I fall short. You know, it's like I, I think I know what I'm doing, but maybe not so well. You know, I think um, you end up too close to something as well, and and you kind yeah. of overthink it. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm very familiar with that uh, phenomenon. Yes. And it's interesting you mentioned a, a bit of a topic that's come up as a common theme here on this podcast, which is really knowing your audience and, and knowing where to speak to them and how to speak to them and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, I think that's that's a good takeaway for, for listeners as well um, when, it, when it comes to any type of marketing. So, can you live off being an author? And that question is not specifically directed at you, but in general, can yeah, can general, anybody? Uh, not real. Well, <laughs> very few. It's you know, it's the it's the writers that are making. They have million dollar contracts with you know, um, Schuster. I mean, it's such a small percentage. Mm-hmm. It's everything else that goes along with that. So if your book does well or people are loving your book and then you get invited to write a column for this magazine or that magazine or people are paying you to consult on their manuscripts, it's it's kind of a domino effect in that way. Um, but no, to say I did I make any money off this book? No, not at all. But it got my name out there and people know my writing and they love my writing, you know, and it, I, it, it gave me that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the way that I can connect with the world um, and give back, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Um, but most authors are, you're not making money. It's a platform to use it for something else. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's not, you know, I would not say that's the money maker. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, and and that's what I expected. Um, a good friend of mine actually wrote a business book um, about a year or two ago, and he was telling me that per copy of the book that sold, he made like a, a couple of dollars or a dollar or something, and the rest yeah. went to the publisher. And it's not that they're yeah. keeping all the money for themselves. There's you know marketing costs and yeah. all these expenses that go along with it. So I don't actually know what profit they make from it, but actually being an author doesn't pay very well. So it seems to me That's like... Quite less bad comes in. I'm working on my new book, and but I make a living working with businesses that have, you know, the funds and they, you know, they, the, the paying clientele that I can, I can use. And I love doing it. I really do. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I like geek out over having to edit proposals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's where write less bad comes in. If I didn't have that, there's... I would be scraping pennies together. You know, just there's just nothing. So it seems like um, a book is just a really big business card and it opens up new opportunities, like a really thick, multi-page, ginormous business card. Yeah, it's it's almost like the best resume, you know. Oh, well, here's my book. This is what I do, you know. Um, or I've written... In some ways, it's very similar. If I say to someone, I have a master's in writing, they'll, oh, okay. I'm like, you've never even read read any of my stuff. But there's a certain level of if you've studied and you put in the time and you're an expert in it, then I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. Um, Same with the book. It doesn't necessarily mean there's a lot of books that are very poorly written. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean it's a great book. But it does, in some ways, make you stand apart. And it does, it kind of legitimizes what you're doing. And it, again, it's that stepping stool. You, you have this foundation that you can go and, 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 you know, kind of 
go after another business format, like, you know, whether it's your idea is that you want to become, you know, a, a staple in writing for certain magazines or consult here or do this or write books that, you know, maybe your first book doesn't do so well monetarily, but then your next book gets picked up. And I mean, there's a whole, there's a process and it's, it's, that's part of the challenge. It's kind of, you know, part of the fun part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, sure, sure. So what sort of opportunities has writing or being an author um, opened up for you that you may not have otherwise been able to do? Probably one of the cooler experiences I've ever had was when I was 20, 21, 21. I had, I was invited to, it was fully paid by one of the um, board directors I was flown out to Rwanda to write a report for one of the mountain gorilla um, conservatories. Um, it was a veterinary project out there, and you know, traveled to see the gorillas and and wrote about the whole the whole system, their you know their compound, everything, everything involved in it. Um, and it was all right. Here's here's my skill, and I'm very confident in my writing abilities. Um, and if I wasn't, if that, if I didn't have that ability, I, I it would have just been someone else, right? Um, it's a, it's like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity, especially when you're 21 years old, you know, to be flown to Africa and um, traveling in in very untraveled areas at that time. I think it's become a little bit more common to to go and hike to see the mountain gorillas and whatnot. But at the time, it was, you know, we were maybe you know, three of two dozen white people in the city. <laughs> yep. And in another situations, it's, you know, a couple speaking engagements where this is her story. Let's invite her to speak. And you, you share in that way. So it's still writing, but it, it's a little bit more dynamic, right? It's, it is that visual, it's that video, but in person. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, it's a platform. It's how, how can I share a piece of me to then hopefully, affect even more people on, on a grander scale. That, mm-hmm. That's always the, you know, intention. Yeah. Um, and then final question about um, writing. I wanted to ask what your opinion is of um, bestseller lists. Okay. So the, the bestseller list. <laughs> Seems like there's a bit of a tension in that question. The bestseller lists always come back to, you know, okay, let's, let's circle back to your question about how can you make money as a writer? And it's, you make money, those very few people typically, when you have big contracts working with big publishers. Um, so the bestseller lists are, they have a whole marketing crew behind them pushing these books. You know, yes, the, the movies that win the Academy Awards are brilliant, brilliant films. But there's many other films out there that are that tell stories magnificently and and that just don't have that the money and the funds and the marketing push to get them seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of my take sometimes on a lot of those books are are awesome books, you know, and they sh- they should be read by many people. Um, but again, it's typically kind of associated with who's marketed them properly, and mm-hmm. and, and and that's the truth, you know. It's you have to have a good marketing strategy or a good PR firm or someone that, that can connect you. It's all about a lot of times in business, right? And you know this, it's who do you know? If 
cold calling a business to to sign, you know to start doing some work for them for right less bad i have a 100% more likely like way better chance to get into that business and start a relationship if my uncle's best friend's son is the ceo and there's a personal connection or he can vouch for me to you know and you make that connection same thing with with any with any well marketed book um, or well-marketed business or well-marketed startup, it's you have to have that that like parent behind you, kind of pushing you into it, um, introducing to the right people, having the mark the right marketing strategy. It, it all kind of connects. I was just kind of trying to gleam a little bit into this this world of best-sell lists and whether it is something that is legitimate and and yeah. um, meaningful and. It is in some way, um, however, what I'm kind of taking away from your answer there is that if you have a big publishing house and a big marketing budget, then it's a lot easier to get featured there. It's, yeah, and, and listen, uh, these publishing houses and, and the people that put them on the best, like they deal with books all the time. So I do in some ways trust their opinions of which books are well-written and, and all those things, but you do have to have that if you if you if you're an unknown and you're not putting yourself out there and you're not marketing yourself and you're not seen you won't get anywhere and that's the reality and that's sometimes what i have to stomach is okay how can i put myself out there more mm-hmm. i want my voice to be heard i want you know someone to read my stories and they're experts at what they do so it's not saying that they're necessarily wrong it's just sometimes you know they're not always looking at a whole scope of things and and I said as I, I I have never been on you know the best selling boards or however they decide those things. Um, this is all more like speculation and and kind of knowing the industry a little bit and um, knowing how you know it works. Um, but that that's a lot of times my takeaway. Yeah, and look, my impression is it's also a self fulfilling prophecy. So if you've been featured once before, then your chance of you know, you're, sure. you're already well known now. So the next book you yeah. write is almost guaranteed to feature in some way. Yeah. And I will say that it's not necessarily the the best selling um, list related, but, you know, say, say on Amazon, people will, will market their book as, oh, best selling book on Amazon. And honestly, Amazon, it's a, like a marketing strategy that they use that I, as far as I understand that like it doesn't necessarily mean that you just sold a hundred thousand copies of your ebook. It just they just list it that way. It, it's mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily correlate to the books that are being sold the most, or it's just a way to kind of get people in you know engaged in reading and buying. And um, again, everything is a business, mm-hmm. even though this is my art, and and it, I would still do it even if I wasn't making any money on it. And which I don't really. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it is a business and, and, and that's how people see it, whether it's a great story or not, what is the book that's going to sell and make a publishing house or an Amazon or who, you know, whoever's selling these books, how do they make money on it? That that's their, you know, that's their aim. Like that's what they're trying to do. And I, and I get it. And you do, you, you continually have to promote your own business and you were talking about it before, continually yeah. putting yourself out there and that's in terms of, you know, public speaking engagements, um, your blog, for example, dabbling in social media, all that kind of stuff. So, and that's really important. And so, who should I interview next on, mate? Hmm. 
should you interview next? Nicole considers herself like the fifth must child. Uh, she's a comedian. She's a comedian. She's a comedian in LA. She's she's. I think a, she was my sister. My old. She was my my oldest sister's age. Um, she lives up in LA. She's a comedian. She's been doing this for seven or eight years. It's like a grind. And mm-hmm. I feel like that might be really interesting for your listeners to just hear what is what is a life a comedian mm-hmm. and what happens and you know how like you're going to auditions and to stand up you know open mics and you know now she's doing shows and she's opening for people and she's starting to slowly and she was on a television show and that to me whenever I can find out like what is the real life of someone um, that's interesting. And how does she market herself and use Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter and all those things? Mm-hmm. That's the person that comes to mind for me. I mean, I have many others too, but um, not so business related. But what it's like, what's the business of comedy, essentially? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds really fascinating. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Where's the blog? So if they go to um, sabrinamust.com, and there's links to almost everything there. So write less bad. It's writelessbad.com. But there's links to my business website. There's links to my blog. There's links to my books. Um, I have a lot of my travel photography on that on sabrinamust.com. Um, that's kind of like the home base um, of where everything is. Um, that's the best way to get in contact with me, email and phone number and stuff. So great. And just you know, I love the feedback, whether you loved it or hated it or it angered you or whatever. Um, that's, you know, that's the reason I write is just to connect in a different way with people. So mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Yes. Thank you. This is fun. Thanks for listening to mate. If you'd like to check out the show notes, um, I've got some links to Sabrina's books and some of the resources we mentioned in the show, uh, head to the website, matepodcast.com slash 17. That's the number one and the number seven. Thank you to my good friend, Josh Armour, for editing today's episode. He's from Armour Pod Productions. I really appreciate it. The Mate logo is by Courtney Carmen, and the music is by Nine Inch Nails used under a Creative Commons license. I also want to say thank you to a few very generous people who have left me amazing iTunes reviews. Um, thank you to Christopher Rauchnot, to Minter Dial, uh, John Wall, Anthony Murphy, and Paul Ramondo. You guys really know how to make a podcaster's day, so thank you. And if you'd like to have the privilege of giving me that warm, fuzzy feeling, you know what to do. Head to uh, iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Um, I know you probably hear this from uh, a lot of other podcasts you listen to, but iTunes reviews really make a big difference in terms of getting the show discovered by other people. Um, So, please jump on over there. I'm nearly at 50 reviews, which is absolutely unheard of for a podcast of my size. So, help a brother out. And on that note, I just wanted to remind you that Mate Podcast is now a weekly show. Uh, So, expect a new fascinating guest um, and interesting insights in your inbox every Tuesday. Mate Podcast will continue to bring you the smartest people in marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship from around the world. But as always, I'm going to continue making the show in the comfort of my home in Melbourne, Australia. I just want to thank you once again for listening into the show. This was a Jaffrey product. Bye for now.
Hey, like there's just no way. Hang on one second. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I didn't think it was going to be my dog. Hang on one sec. 